You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the show. Penzo Performance Line, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Tonight you can be part of the show as you can every night. Part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. The college football season is heating up. So is your favorite Dr. Pepper loving college football town, Fansville. Head to a store near you to treat your inner college football fan to an ice cold 20 ounce Dr. Pepper today. In my mind, Sarah, and you know, maybe I've just convoluted this whole thing, but in my mind, James Harden sitting with his feet up in Houston, drinking an ice cold Dr. Pepper, thinking things are good because whenever I ask for eventually I seem to get and that's where we are now as Harden continues he's now at least with the Rockets we know he is there the question now is that he's reported with the team and that he's practicing with the team and playing a little in preseason games what do we expect from Harden and part of that's going to be not on the court but largely Sarah what we expect from him off the court in the world of distraction or ability to just sit in with this Houston team and be a part of it yeah I mean steps have been made Right. The big step was reporting and playing and getting out on the court and making himself a valuable asset that other teams are interested in and not taking away the leverage from the team that he's demanding out from. That's leverage. He finally spoke, although what he said left much to be desired. Let me just play for you a couple answers. And that's in in very, uh, very uh, much quotation (laughs) marks. Uh, This was what he said when he was asked, are you trying to be traded? Uh, Right now, I'm just focused on being here, you know. Today was, was was good. Yesterday felt really good being out there, uh, you know, the first time in you know, since the bubble. Um, I hadn't really had an opportunity to do a lot of five on five work, but for my first time being out there, um, I think I, I felt pretty good. So, okay, so right now I'm focused on being here. I wasn't focused on being here when I was instead focused on being at a rapper's birthday party or hanging out at the club in Vegas, and I didn't have the opportunity to play much five on five because uh, I was at the aforementioned rapper's birthday party and partying in Vegas. Okay. Then, are the trade rumors a distraction to your team who up until today have been the ones who have had to answer every question about them? Remember that. Uh, since, I've, since I've been here, there's nothing that's been said about it. You know, everybody in the locker room, coaching staff has been focused on uh, ramping up and preparing for the season. So um, that's all that matters. Since I've been here, which is what, two days? <laughs> what yeah, like 16 How far seconds back are we going he's here? been there yet. Like nobody's yeah. mentioned it. It's good. No one's mentioned it yet, except for when they just asked you and you evaded the question. Okay, and then finally... Uh, if, you know, you're happy to be back getting that five-on-five work, working with your team, focused on basketball, then what exactly were you doing in Vegas and Atlanta to get ready for right now? James, what was the point that you were trying to get across when you went to Atlanta and Vegas when training camp was starting? I was just training. What were you training for? Uh, Started the NBA season. How did going to Atlanta and Vegas help you there when the Rockets were starting training camp in Houston? Uh, just you know, my personal trainers. I mean, Sarah? if it's how stupid does he think we are? And, and you know what? If you come in, like there is a level, and we used to see this a lot in the NFL where guys would just sort of disappear and they'd come back and it's like, hey, I spent the summer working with my trainers. And the way that you judged those players that came back was often by the way they look. Now, I'm not one to body shame. And look, 2020 has been a fluffy year for a lot of us. But let's at least acknowledge that the, the tweet seen around the world seems to be the image of Harden. And maybe it's just a bad angle. Maybe it's just a bad photo. But it doesn't look like he's been spending a lot of time with trainers unless he considers his friends Doritos to be the trainers that he's hanging out with. <laughs> Is Doritos plural friends? 
Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, it's because you eat the whole bag, bag of in Doritos. Is a friend or Doritos <laughs> are plural friends? Yeah, again, it's not about body shaming in any sense, and a lot of guys are going to maybe have taken that extra break because this season came on so fast outside of the bubble. But it does come into play when your excuse for why you weren't training with the team was that you were training elsewhere when it looked like you were partying. And I don't understand, you know, why being in either of those places would be the best place for you to work out. To the point that you were making off the top, the Rockets have done everything in their power to appease the superstar, which is how it works in the NBA. Rachel Nichols did a great monologue today on The Jump talking about how it doesn't matter if you have complimentary pieces if you don't have the big piece. And we know that. We know in basketball, and even in recent years, it's not one big piece. We've seen that with Giannis and the Bucks. It's multiple superstars coming together to win titles. So you have to appease your superstars. You have to do the things that they want and get the talent around them. But at some point, when does it become too much? And if they are doing all the things you ask, which has been the case with the Houston Rockets and James Harden, then how can he sign a four-year deal, enter the second year, not have played a single game in the second year of that deal, and be asking out because things don't look the way he wants? This, to me, is when player empowerment skews to the wrong side. And I don't want people to mishear that as me thinking the power should lie with billionaire owners instead of millionaire players. I get that there is still a power structure that favors ownership in all professional sports. But this guy is guaranteed $40 million plus the next three years. They've done everything he's asked. And as soon as he decides he doesn't like the looks of it, he's asking out and not in a timeline where he wants to afford them the opportunity to get the best back in return on his timeline, which he just decided to show up and be a part of this team. And that's where I wonder, does it has it flip-flopped where the balance um, makes it really difficult for teams to build fits? How do you build a team when you anticipate having someone for four years and after one year they want out. I, I think one of the smartest things you just said there, Sarah, was that they did everything he asked. And conversely, has he done everything they asked? I mean, mm-hmm. because realistically, they spent a lot of money to bring a lot of players together with the hopes of winning a championship. That was the expectation for Houston. And Houston had the opportunity to do so. They were in games that could have put them in that situation. And not just Harden, but the guys didn't play well enough to get it done. And so this level of what we usually see from most athletes is a mea culpa that comes back and says, hey, I want to get it right. I want to I want to make this thing. I'm charged up. We haven't we haven't finished what we started. Unfinished business. Like we hear all of these cliches. We hear none of that at this point. As Harden sort of looks around and says, man, we had our window. Didn't work out. Now we're not going to be as good. I, I want out. I mean, realistically, if the Rockets have done everything that James Harden has asked, has James Harden done everything that they've asked? He hasn't brought them a championship. So if you're Houston, at some point you have to sort of put your foot down and say, look, I don't care what you want, dude. You got a contract. You're going to have to play here because there's no way that we can stay anywhere relevant in the NBA conversation if you're not part of it. So we need you at this point. You signed the deal. You're just going to have to deal with it. And to that point, you have the option, if you are a superstar at the highest level, to do just what LeBron James did. Do you remember in Cleveland, he consistently signed a one-year plus a player option, which meant every single year, I'm going to be looking at the front office and demanding that they make the moves that I think will make us a championship contender because it matters to me whether I have an opportunity to play for a title. If that matters to you, more than the money, more than getting what you want, more than anything else, then you make your contracts 
in order to hold their feet to the fire to make sure that they're not resting on the fact that they have a superstar that will help them sell tickets, keep fans coming in, whatever else. He didn't do that. And that's what you give up when you take a longer deal. It's any job fits, any job with contracts. It happens in our business too, right? You want the security of a longer deal. Maybe it's for a little less money. You want to make more money on a shorter term. Then you're probably going to make more, but then you run the risk of two years from now, maybe you don't still got it and you don't get that other deal. And in the case of James Harden, if he wanted to be sure that the Rockets were still a team that he felt like he could win a title with, first of all, he could change his own playing style and behavior in ways that would benefit the team and not forget how to basketball in important elimination games. And secondly, he could have structured contracts and accepted money differently so that he could hold their feet to the fire. He didn't do that. He wanted safety and he wanted security. And now he's trying to bone over the team that gave him both. And at some point, the Rockets are going to have to say enough is enough because they don't really have many options otherwise. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Small business protection for more than vehicles. With insurance expertise to keep your company moving forward. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Coming up, there's one story everybody missed in the NFL, and it's huge for the playoffs. We'll tell you about it next on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and... Uh, look, there was one story that I think uh, somehow, some way, seemed to sort of get lost in the shuffle of everything we were talking about in the NFL yesterday. And I think it's an important one, sir, as the NFL uh, has come out and said that they are not going to be able to essentially demand that players uh, in the playoffs are in any sort of a bubble. They won't be able to require players to stay in one hotel facility. They won't be able to require that everybody hole up in one spot. And I'm, I was curious to see how they were going to be handling it because we all know that week in and week out, COVID-19 restrictions are part of what we're now dealing with. And in my mind, at least, it seemed like they were going to have something in place that they brought in for the playoffs because there's this nightmare scenario of, God forbid, insert favorite team here and favorite team's quarterback ends up on the COVID-19 list the day of a playoff game, and there's not much they can do at that point. So it could wreck the whole schedule or wreck a great season for a -a once-in-a-lifetime moment for a team. Yeah, what we've seen from the NFL and from Roger Goodell and the few times he's sort of spoken publicly about all this stuff has been a desire to be flexible and malleable in all of this. And that includes today's decision to delay uh, making any announcement about that 17-game regular season. Um, you know, they 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 want to add it. They don't know exactly when. They're holding off on some of those announcements. And I think they're trying to react to what they're seeing now and make decisions going forward with as much information as possible, which in some cases means delaying it. This was an interesting one because they came out ahead of it without anyone really forcing their hand and announced that there would be no mandatory bubbles. I think this is probably because it wasn't collectively bargained and you can't midway through a season demand that personnel and staff and players uh, not go home. Uh, And, uh, you know, to me, It feels very risky, and to your point, I think worst-case scenario is you have a team that's played great all season, and then you know that a playoff game isn't a full squad and is without a significant player, whether offense or defense, but you know, quarterback is the most dramatic, of course. Um, And the size of teams, obviously, is a part of this. The the, potential for players to to complain about mental health implications. Um, I'm just curious what other protections they're putting in place to be certain that they don't run into the worst possible scenario come January, February. Yeah, and when I say worst possible scenario, there's two different sides of it. Uh, Let's be clear, and I think we've been clear abundantly on this show, 
uh, how serious we're still taking the virus and how much that's a focus for for both of us. That is a tremendous focus. There is also this moment of, you know, I'll put my fan hat on and say, okay, somehow, some way, my beloved Raiders make the playoffs. This becomes that unnerving, oh, my God, I can't believe it. They're actually their moment. And then you think about what we've seen so often this year where, to your point, it's even if it's not just a quarterback, it can be an entire offensive line. It can be contact tracing that keeps a, a group of people out of practice for a week. And they've had to shift some games, but they've managed to get through the entire season without any games being canceled, which is a tremendous accomplishment at this point for the NFL. My, my concern is we get into the playoffs and suddenly, you know, one of these teams that hasn't been in this situation before, a, a, a Bills, a, a Browns, somebody that's barely ever there, you know, you end up with a contact tracing situation. I mean, conspiracy theorists are going to wonder how the testing's being done at that point, but uh, I'm, I'm concerned about how they're going to keep everything under control in a way that gives realistic chances for these teams to have competitive balance in the playoffs. They may not care about that in the regular season. But in the playoffs, it becomes such an all-absorbing thing. I guess I presume that given that the league has a couple of times tweaked their protocols, that they would work something out with the players to tweak this as well and give themselves a solution, but that's not the way they're going. Well, Kevin Seifert did some nice reporting on this and did point out that those tweaked protocols, that quote-unquote intensive protocol that they agreed to place in this month, has significantly decreased the infection rates and has made things better in terms of uh, team-wide issues. Um, and I guess, according to this reporting from Seifert, uh, Dr. Alan Sills, the NFL's chief medical officer, has actually said that he's against the idea of a bubble format housing in you know shared living quarters because the chance of an outbreak is higher possibly in a bubble if an infection gets in. So unless it's the kind that the NBA had where it's truly you can't go in and out. The only people in there are the people who either live there or you know, are, are regulated by wristbands and everything else. The very serious and expensive way the NBA did it then it is more possible that someone could come in. And then if you get everybody, all the players and coaches under one roof infected, then that's even worse. And then again, the mental health issues. So I think there's a voluntary aspect of this. And to me, the big gray area is if you suggest to your players and staff that you would prefer that they spend time at a team-sponsored hotel, uh, how likely is it that they consider that Voluntary, the same way that voluntary workouts sometimes don't feel all that voluntary. Um, I know that they're getting out ahead of this by publicly announcing that they can't be forced to do so. I just wonder what the internal conversations for some of these teams might be. Yeah, that OTA point is a good one, Sarah, because realistically, how often do we hear players talk about voluntary things are not really all that voluntary? And in fairness, I should, I would imagine that the players that make the playoffs are going to be very focused and concentrated. I, I mean, right now, the harder thing, and I've said this a lot with college football, like some of the teams where the, the season went off the rails, uh, you could, I can understand why a bunch of college kids are like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go out with my friends. I don't care at this point. I, I understand uh, that human element more than I, than necessarily professional that's sitting there with the playoffs on the line that understands why going, you know, going out can be the wrong thing to do in that moment. So maybe they'll come in with more focus. Uh, also an interesting note uh, related to COVID-19 and Adam Schefter tweeted this out a little bit ago that the NFL is pursuing a concept to honor and thank healthcare workers at the Super Bowl in Tampa for their effort during the pandemic. The staff is discussing with health, public health officials the league's desire to invite vaccinated healthcare workers to attend this Super Bowl. So interesting gesture by the league at that point. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I still think that it's very difficult to make big decisions about what the playoffs and the Super Bowl will look like this far out, as crazy as that sounds when we're usually planning years in advance uh, with the current situation and the way Florida is like just wide open, like, hey, everybody, come on in. Everything's open. Go to whatever games you want. Fill the stands. Um, That seems very risky. And to make it through a season and then have some sort of massive super spreader event at the Super Bowl would be a terrible look. So if they can find a way to make this a great honor and a thank you to people who have been um, doing the most important jobs during all of this, that seems like a pretty good idea. But I don't know that they would be willing to just give up all of the money and possible revenue from it. Um, So I think... It, that, it's nice to float that out and then, and then see where they go with it um, as as they get closer to that. Uh, and, and then, you know, as far as, as, as Tampa goes, it must be so difficult, Fitz, to anticipate and plan ahead for the massive economic boon of, of hosting a Super Bowl and try to figure out how much do you invest, how much do you spend, if you know you're not going to get back the majority of it like you normally would. Well, and, you know, there are so many interesting things that we still don't know that need to be figured out. And, you know, God knows in this in this climate, the I have a friend conversation is always a weird one. But I will say, with that being said, uh, I have a friend that is a doctor and uh, got the, the vaccine and she works in a hospital and she was educating a bunch of us today on, you know, the fact that they don't have data yet on those who are vaccinated and whether or not they can still get infected, but less severely. So that leaves potential for asymptomatic or low symptom spread. So there's so many questions we don't know yet. This is a great gesture by the NFL to be looking at, but uh, we've still got to figure out, you know, how uh, the last thing in the world, to your point, they want is a super spreader event that hurts the very people that are helping all of us right now. I have a friend, too, and he's on the planning committee for the Tampa Super Bowl. And I'm real mad because I was going to throw down in Tampa using oh. all of my connections. I was going to be first in line for everything. Um, I mean, also, really quickly, wanted to mention that something else that came out of that meeting I mentioned today where they were delaying the decision on the 17 games um, was that Goodell seemed in favor of shortening the preseason from four games to two, but a group of powerful owners dismissed it. So no vote was taken. Schedule remains unchanged for now. Something to keep an eye on. Yeah, they want that money from preseason games. All right, coming up, how do the Warriors bounce back without Clay Thompson? Plus, more on Harden. We'll get into all of that next with High Friend, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Joining us now on the Shell Penzoil performance side, a man who is always great when he got to be great. And one of our friends, it's time for Hi Friend. Hi, friend. Hi, friend. Hi, friends. Say hello to my little friend. He's my friend because we both know what it's like to have people be jealous of us. Alone. Bad. Friend. Good. And we're the best friends that anyone could have. We're the best friends that anyone could have. And we'll never, ever, 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 ever leave each other. You got this. That's right. It's our buddy ESPN NBA reporter, Nick Friedel. Hi, Fran. Hi, Fran. Nailed Hi, Fran. it. Nailed it. Uh, Nick, what's been the toughest <laughs> part of getting ready for an NBA season when the last one just ended a couple weeks ago? Oh, it's, it's, I'm so friggin' sick of Zooms. I can't take it anymore <laughs> uh, like the rest of the world. But, hey, the job is still awesome. Uh, I, I'm enjoying the hell out of the awkwardness that comes on all these Zooms and everybody trying to find their own place and click the raise hand tool. 
And then you have some of the older members of the media that aren't sure how to mute things. And then you get some weird, <laughs> awkward conversations. And then like a few days ago, after the Warriors post game, we, we, we had a, a Zoom that uh, one of the participants had gotten up and there was like a party in the background and two people oh were making out. So, I mean, you really never know what to expect uh, in this, Wait, uh, in this world in a lot of ways. Name names. This was a media. Uh, this was a media member. This is a, this is a media member. He, uh, the, I, I, the media member uh, is is widely respected and has been for years. But he had gotten up, and in the background, <laughs> it was kind of like, "Whoa, <laughs> we got something." Was he going throwing the party, here. or was he doing a Zoom from a random party? No, I think I think it was his party. I think it was his party, and <laughs> and he was kind of making sure that everybody was having a good time, and he still had his work to do. He just he left that that Zoom up and running, <laughs> and as you can imagine, the, the text <laughs> we're, we're flying fast and furiously all over the place. So, well, congratulations uh, been, to whoever fun. that is who lives in a world without a pandemic, a party, people making out. What year is it? Can I, I'm, you're bearing the lead. Um, all right, enough about that person. Otherwise, I'm going to start digging for names and things aren't going to go well when they're menchies. Uh, we're talking to ESPN NBA reporter Nick Friedel. Nick, so many questions about this Warriors team. Just the most awful luck with Clay Thompson, a team that a lot of people weren't sure where to slot them in the West, even with Clay. What are the uh, realistic expectations coming in? As says, if it's me, I don't think in a best case scenario they can get past being the five seed. I think if Steph stays healthy and Draymond is motivated, and I believe he is, and he, and he looks great, uh, he's dropped uh, some weight since the last time we saw him, and James Wiseman can be the defensive force, at least early on, that they expect him to be. If all those things come together, I still think there are several teams ahead of them, notably the L.A. teams in the West, uh, and then Denver and probably Utah for right now. So in a best case, I think the Warriors are a five seed. If Steph has so much as a hangnail, guys, and he misses a couple weeks or rolls an ankle, Draymond the same, this team is in big, big trouble. Uh, when they took him off the floor last night in night preseason game in Sacramento, and you tried to, to see the offense do something without him, it was ugly. And granted, you want to see Draymond and Wiseman out there and what they can bring, but they're Neither of those guys are going to help you that much, especially from shooting from the outside. So, in a best case, I think they're a five seed, and I've talked to plenty of people, Sarah, who think that if it goes south early, and it might, this may not even be a playoff team. So, the expectations for this year without Clay are all over the place for this Warriors team. You've mentioned the name Wiseman a couple of times, and obviously James Wiseman was their draft pick, their high draft pick uh, out of Memphis, but... He was considered to be so good that when he got to Memphis, people thought Memphis might even be able to win a national championship. Then he was barely on the floor for them. So what's reasonable in expectations for a kid that we really know nothing about? And Mr. Fitz, Steve Kerr just talked about this about an hour ago. And I thought his, his point was really interesting. He said, everybody wants to believe that James is going to walk out on the floor and be David Robinson. What I would tell everybody is uh, – this is David Robinson in his second year at Navy. <laughs> this isn't David Robinson, who was an all-star, a Hall of Famer in San Antonio for all these years yet. I mean, this is a 19-year-old kid who's played a handful of games. And I think the, the rest of the league is trying to figure out exactly 
who he is. What I would say is when you talk to people who have watched him for a while, they say there's no doubt in their mind if he had played a whole season or close to it before uh, COVID stopped everything, that this would be clearly the number one pick in the league. On top of that, Wiseman just went through his first scrimmage with the Warriors. Uh, Kerr, Steph Curry, Draymond, they've gone out of their way not only to discuss how great he's looked and how much energy he's brought, but how many guys kind of walk over to the sidelines and go, man, this kid is long. He is everywhere. So uh, they are really high on what he can be, but they are trying to tamp down the expectations for now because they know how much pressure inherently comes with any number two pick and they know on this team without clay they need him to hit the ground running as fast as he can because they need him to contribute right away if they really want to make a push in the west it's spain and fitz there spain jason fitz a little half friend with our friend nick friedel espn nba reporter nick there was a very tiny little chance that the warriors could try to lure Giannis to the team and that second (laughs) bout of a dynasty there would start with uh, Curry and Giannis and a couple of stars. That's obviously off the table now. What does the next contract for Curry look like, and what does the future for this franchise look like if they don't have enough right well, now? Well, sure. Let's start, let's start on the Steph contract because it is, as my friend Bobby Marks said when we were going through the numbers, it's a monster. <laughs> and we saw the Giannis deal that, that he uh, inked the other day. If Steph comes to an agreement, and I believe the date is the 21st, so they'd have to do it in a few days before the season really gets rolling here. The extension for Steph, given his place in the league, is three years, $156 million, which is an astronomical amount of money, but it's a, an amount of money that Joe Lacob and the Warriors ownership group would pay in a heartbeat. But here's what I would uh, have everybody consider as we're going through these numbers. And this is where, guys, I think the Warriors are really, really going to have some issues here, not only this season without Clay, but even when Clay comes back, no matter how much money Joe Lacob wants to go in and spend and and go deep into the tax, and right now he's going to be at like $150 million this year. If if Steph comes to the agreement and they, they get this deal done, Steph's money is massive on the books. Andrew Wiggins has a max deal. He's on the books for a few more years. Clay just uh, started his max deal, and and we don't know what kind of player he's going to be whenever he does return on a max contract. And guys, Draymond's deal that was four years, about a hundred million, that starts this season. So the Warriors were supposed to have this cash cow in, in the form of Chase Center with all these events that stopped, and you can have all the billions in the world that you want. But at some point, the ownership group may look around and say, hey, you know what? We're not getting the return on our investment. We're not going to keep going deep into the tax, and they're going to wait to see how all of this plays out. But I think their financial issues down the line, as far as the cap ramifications go, are very severe, and it's something to watch for in the next couple of seasons. So has the Warriors' windows closed? Oh, Fitz, hi. I hesitate for this reason. Here's why. If Wiseman is as good as they think he's going to be, then he can either be the centerpiece of what they need defensively with Draymond, who it's crucial that he comes in motivated and plays at a high level, or potentially they can use him as an asset to acquire somebody else down the line. The big key here, and it's why I'm not ready to just close it all down, is that Minnesota Timberwolves pick 
next year. It was included in the D'Angelo Russell Wiggins deal. Uh, guys, for my money, Minnesota is going to be awful this year. I think it's top three protected this year. It's a loaded draft. So if they get the fourth or fifth pick, you get Clay back in whatever form he's going to be in. You get Steph and Draymond, who badly want to show that it's not over yet. Wiseman's pretty good. You get that pick, and you have Joe Lacob's pocket uh, book and a checkbook, and he's going to spend all the money he wants. I don't think you can close it all down yet because Fitz, Steph still is that good. But when you look at the roster, that's a lot of big ifs that would have to uh, go in a, a different direction right now to think that everything would work to a point where they can be in title contention again. ESPN NBA reporter Nick Friedel. Hey, real quick, because we're out of time here. I know you haven't tried a million things. What is the food you've never eaten that everyone is shocked to hear? Never eaten? I mean, you you could fill in this blank for me. Every time it's we go to a everything. place, you have me try 12 different things because that's I true. haven't tried anything. It's so like anything other than cheeseburger or confetti cake. That's, that's it. That's, that's what it. I'm eating. That's on. your whole like, diet. I knew that's that. My I knew diet. That, so anything I knew it would be too, too hard to whittle it down. I have uh, never <laughs> wanted to party more with you than I do right now because that <laughs> sounds delightful. Burgers and fun fetty cake 2021. Uh, we miss you, Nick. Have a good one. I miss y'all. Talk to you soon. Bye, Fran. Bye, Fran. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio brought to you by My Computer Career Training for a Better Life. If you're wondering why I asked that question, stick around to find out why Ian, sorry, Ian Eagle, not Ian Eagle, Ian Eagle's palate is mysterious. But coming up, Jason's going to bring the heat that will wipe out tonight's northeast snowstorm. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. And it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Uh, If you're a regular listener to Spain and Fitz, uh, then you know that Jason often leaves to cheat on me with other shows during the show. It's like telling your wife, excuse me, honey, thank you for this lovely dinner that you've prepared I'm going to bring it into another room and eat it with my mistress. It happens every week. Hashtag we never talked about that. Hashtag (laughs) it's only open on one side, which is not a hashtag open relationship. And if you're not familiar with this, then make sure you subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to it on the ESPN app, the Apple iPad, Apple iTunes, any of those places you get your podcasts and you would be caught up. The point being that last night, college football playoff rankings hit. The world exploded and with anger and Fitz left me to go talk about it with Mike Golick Jr., So I wanted to give him some space here to react once again, as today nothing has been cooled down in terms of people's anger about this. In fact, we've got people saying we should go back to the BCS. We've got people saying the whole system's corrupt. Where do you want to go with this, Fitz, and your fiery takes? Well, first, I I just want to make it clear. The College Football Playoff Committee has lost their minds, and there's no accountability (laughs) for it. And and the frustrating part to me is, you know, we, we looked at the rankings yesterday, and the frustrating thing is the lack of accountability. There is no accountability to how they're making decisions. And what it feels like they're doing now is they're cherry picking the stats and metrics that they want to support their opinions based solely on the eye test or the brand relevance that they think certain teams have. And that's the frustrating part. How can you justify dropping Florida one spot for a loss? 
lost to an atrocious LSU team. And at the same time, when I flat out asked Gary Barta, the committee chair, about why that happened and then Cincinnati fell, his answer was, well, Cincinnati didn't really have great game control in a game that they won a few weeks ago. And then he says that they're penalizing Cincinnati for not playing since November 21st, when in fact, Ohio State's only played one game since then, and it was against the trash Michigan State team. So they're picking and choosing which metrics they care about, and they're telling you the game control in a win is actually more hurtful than losing to a bad football team. It's all an example of a lack of accountability because they don't stand up individually and tell you what they vote for and how they voted, and as a result, they get to hide behind Gary Barta, who answers every question the same way by talking about how much football they watch. Well, guess what? They're not the only people that watch a lot of football, and they need to justify with more than that. Woo! I love it. Uh, last night, we had Pete Futak on, and he said that they would be greatly helped by expanding the playoffs, which is something I have always argued on behalf of. And the only downfall is usually that people say, oh, well, in that case, people are just going to argue about the seventh team or the eighth team that's left out. But I do think there's something to be said for once you've got the power five favorites that are always going to be in there, then there's more mystery. Then there's an opportunity for a team that has a fantastic season that you couldn't have seen coming actually have a shot. And Kirk Herbstreit was on KJ and Z this morning and I think made a valid argument that supports that point. Our postseason is is as bad as there is. Mm-hmm. And we have got to figure out a system that opens up opportunities um, that, that like right now, let's just say the season ends January 12th. I can already tell you 2021 Ohio state's coming out of the big 10 <laughs> Clemson's coming out of the ACC, Alabama's coming out of the sec in 2021. I can tell you 2023 Ohio state's coming out of the big 10 <laughs> Clemson's coming out of the ACC, Alabama's coming out. It's like, who's the fourth team is Oklahoma going to come out of the, of the big 12. M- maybe keys boys out of USC, get it together. Maybe, maybe USC. Like it's, it, that's where we are. Is that is that right? Is that healthy for the sport? Okay, real quick, Fitz. I think if you combine the idea of expanded playoffs where there's more room for teams outside those top faves to get in with our plan that we agreed on on this show, which is that you should leave the last week open to be able to schedule a team to buoy and bolster your argument, plus the idea that you need to stop scheduling games four years in advance – then you actually have a possibility for teams that are not those blue blood favorites to have a spectacular season and to put everything together and have a real shot at this, which isn't the case right now. You're a thousand percent right, Sarah. And you add more intrigue to the entire process. And, you know, I've always been a guy that says, hey, four teams, let's keep it selective. This year has changed my mind, and it's changed it definitively. And I think one of the best points I've heard on it, uh, I think it was Tom Luganbill that said to me before, what happens when the same teams consistently make it to the playoffs is they get more TV time, they get more advertising time, they get more leverage, they get more popularity, and that matters with recruits. So what happens if, if you're in Ohio right now and you're a kid that's thinking about, for some reason, Cincinnati or Ohio State, for example, the message you've been sent in the last two weeks is that no matter whatever happens, Cincinnati won't get you to that. That big playoff game you won't get that big highlight moment with them you can't have that shine so what happens is all of this creates a funnel like a bottleneck of of recruits going to the same dozen schools so only a handful of schools are even really competitive with the level of talent they're bringing in which then skews it all if they spread out the playoff system you would have more opportunity for different teams to make it which would give more opportunity for that to be part of their recruiting process and further balance college football there's a a massive balance issue that is not going to correct itself because there isn't free agency in college sports. So LeBron
LeBron can't go to L.A. So if college football doesn't figure out a fix in 10 years, I think people will be disinterested in the product. I agree, and I do think, again, there's something that's so wonderful about the the March Madness idea of Cinderella's if they are talented enough to back it up and it's not a one-off. When you get to validate the hard work, the coaching of a, of, of a coach that's just starting out, uh, a player that outdoes expectations, and that doesn't – it could maybe happen in a bowl game, but at the highest levels it's just not possible the way this is set up. Um, we don't really have time to play it, but Mike Oresco, the ACC commissioner, was on Paul Feinbaum, and – essentially said, let's go back to the BCS. It'd be a fairer system. And you agree with some of what he had to say, but your argument is that we wouldn't end up with a different result. Yeah, that's the one thing that I think is important to stress because we looked at it last year at the end of the year, and every year so far the College Football Playoff Committee has selected the same four teams so far that the BCS would have selected. So anybody that thinks going back to computers would eliminate some of this, I don't think it would give us a result that makes fans happier. Realistically, part of what you got to do with this situation is figure out how to help the sport, how to grow the sport, and how to make sure that you're doing the best thing for the future of the sport. And the BCS, unfortunately, because it would be giving us this same limited group of four teams, I don't think really helps. We need to figure out a way in college football to create the next Gonzaga like they've done in college basketball. Remember when they were an outlier to the tournament and now they're the number one team in college basketball, right? Like that can happen, but you've got to have a foresight to your point, Sarah, on how to make March Madness make that sort of culture part of college football. Yeah, I agree. And, and uh, you know, I do think that this four-team playoff is just so limited and that Herb Street is right. Like and you, you can look ahead a couple years and unless a team totally poops the bed, you know they're going to make it, then you're just it's a, it's just over and over again. That's where the best players are going to go and there isn't that room for growth. Well, and I don't know what solves it quickly because let's be real, TV contracts are, are part of what's going to mm-hmm. uh, drive all of this, but they've got to figure it out and they've got to figure it out so that they can have it in place as soon as possible because college football would be better, I believe, right now if we had an opportunity for a school like Cincinnati or a school like Coastal Carolina, a school that maybe doesn't get as much shine, to get into the college football playoff to at least have their moment. And more teams in an unpredictable year could give us a more unpredictable playoff, which is good for everybody. That's Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, massive college basketball news last night as history was made. A new winningest coach in basketball history. And she's going to join us here next on Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, CSPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. And we got to get rid of that music because we need something different for this guest. That's right. The GOAT is coming on. Massive win last night for Stanford women's basketball, putting coach Tara Vanderveer on top. Tara on top. The winningest women's basketball coach in college basketball history. And she joins us now on the Shell Penzoil performance line. Tara, thanks for the time. Been a whirlwind day, I'm sure. And I want to know what it felt like last night because it's not a surprise of a championship where you don't know going in. It's not an 80-point game that you didn't know you had in you. It's a it's a gradual, step-by-step journey to get to there, so you knew it was coming. What did it feel like in the actual moment when the when the buzzer sounded? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's an absolute pleasure. It was great that the game was on ESPN, and we had Beth Mullins and Debbie Antonelli making the call from, unfortunately, an empty gym, but it was... Uh, you know, it was a really, really exciting for our team. We had, um, I, I thought we played well, you know, uh, most of the game. And 
um, once, once we won, it was, uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a relief just because there's been a lot of attention about it, but, um, all in all, it was a really happy and fun night. Coach, when the dust settles and, you know, you get through the moment, I know coaches rarely take time to look back. Was there something in your career last night after everything was done that was really in your head as sort of a strong memory? Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of, you know, just, I can't tell you that there was anything that I really thought about except for, I, I really thought about my very, kind of my first game coaching and how I got into coaching. I got in because my dad told me I was going to go down and coach my sister's team. You know, it was just the beginning of Title Nine, and I was, um, you know, I, I was, I just graduated from college and I had no idea that coaching was going to be something I went into. I planned to go to law school. But I was just thinking about how coaching my sister and how much fun I had, and and that's when I decided that that, that's what I wanted to do. Tara, it's interesting. For those of you that started out super young, like you just pointed out, we all know Pat Summit was, you know, washing uniforms while coaching. Uh, And those early days of the growth of women's basketball, it's wonderful and, and fantastic that the game has grown as much as it has but it's also resulted in a lot fewer female coaches in women's college basketball than there used to be. What's your reaction to how the the salaries have gone up, the attention has gone up, and so have the number of men uh, being given jobs? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. One of the things that I do is uh, through the Women's Sports Foundation, uh, they have started a fund, and it's the Tara Vanderveer Legacy Fund, to help kind of fill the pipeline uh, for young women coaches. Um, and both men and women support this, uh, you know, by giving money to the Women's Sports Foundation. Uh, we're trying to do internships for not just basketball, but other sports too. Um, we, you know, we need young women to uh, develop as coaches and get the opportunities in coaching. And that has been, you know, as you have noted, that has been a downside in that women have, uh, you know, lost jobs or not been rehired. And it's very challenging for women if they, you know, lose a job to get a job uh, again, and I think we need to. That's one thing I kind of have referred to Stanford as the recycling bin. Uh, you know, I've hired women that have lost their job and then they've gotten back in it, and they've done exceptionally well. We're talking to Stanford women's head uh, basketball coach Tara Vanderveer. So uh, the other thing that we talk a lot on this show about is the WNBA. We love it on this show, and obviously the growth of the league has resulted in the growth of it seems perspective around women's basketball in general how has that affected sort of recruiting when you look at the recruits today versus the recruits years ago uh, how is it different you know i think that the WNBA gives a great opportunity for women but the money is not what the nba is at all and i, I think that women sh- still um I, I just think they really uh, have to focus on academics and you know make sure that they get a great education um, because basketball is fun, but it is going to be over for everybody shortly. You know, it's not going to last really long. Um, and, that, you know, that academics are really, really important. So uh, I don't know that it's changed for women. or We don't have one and done. Um, and, you know, I think for the most part, women have, have really, um, you know, focused on academics and want to do, you know, their academics so that they'll have a career beyond basketball. Yeah, it's super important. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Stanford women's coach Tara Vanderveer, winner of two national championships at Stanford, 42 years in her coaching career, national coach of the year four times, and now 
1099, 1099 wins to pass Pat Summit. That's a huge number. And the person that you pass is such a huge figure in women's sports, not mm-hmm. just in basketball. Is there somewhat of a bittersweet nature to this because of the way that Pat's career and life ended? I would have loved to have seen her out there going game for game with you still. I would too. Um, it is really sad, you know, and that, you know, you asked me what I thought about it. I thought about that too. And that, you know, the great, not just great rivalry, but great friendship uh, we had, you know, as, um, you know, kind of basketball um, contemporaries, um, people that, you know, we, we really, uh, I, I mean, I just think we, we did go, we did go at it. And I mean, you knew if you beat Tennessee that you had a, a good team that year. And, you know, there were years that um, it, we just, we went into double overtime or we just had battles and, you know, obviously she's a great coach and a great mentor and a great person. Um, so last night really uh, did remind me so much of how much I miss her. Coach, uh, obviously you had the opportunity to coach one of our friends, Chanae Ogum, okay? And uh, I got to get some dirt. Like, there's got to be something. Chanae's great at everything. Can you give me anything uh, that Chanae's not good at so that well, we can Well, besides singing, like we've little... covered that on this show, though. She's a terrible singer. She needs to stop singing. Uh, we all need to know our gifts and our strengths. Other than that, though. Other than the singing. <laughs> um, you know, she. I mean, she, Chanae is incredibly talented. Um, the one thing I will say, you know, I, I, I kind of underestimated Chanae. I'll be honest with you. You know, I thought as coming in as a freshman, I thought, well, Chanae, well, I'll bring her along slowly. You know, we'll, I'll bring her off the bench. And, you know, and in the first game, she had uh, – like 20 rebounds the second game and these are <laughs> exhibition games 25 rebounds i'm like scrap that plan i, I would just <laughs> say with Shanae, give her the ball you know the girl delivers in every single thing she does uh she's just awesome and one of the things that she really brought to stanford along with her sister uh neka ogumke was uh just a, a, a sisterhood you know just uh uh she just really is uh, the, the sisterhood is so great and so strong, you know, yeah. and that uh, uh, when you have that on a team, you really have a great chance of winning. Stanford coach Tara Vanderveer, the winningest coach in women's college basketball with us. I have two quick ones for you before we let you go, coach. First of all, I saw this great video. It had all sorts of folks. There's a couple different videos floating around of people, including former players and other coaches and staff members, uh, wishing you well on this accomplishment. But one thing I noticed is a couple notable uh, opposing coaches who seem to say congratulations, but also remember all the times we beat you and we're going to go out and get another title. Uh, I like that. I like that. Have you felt like there's a little bit of pulling teeth from the people that you oppose in them saying, like, we're definitely happy for you, but also now we're done celebrating and let's get back to beating each other? <laughs> well, you know, um, we have been, like, I've been so busy, I've not seen a single one of the videos yet. Oh. And so so I'm, you know, I'm excited to see them, and I'll look out for that for sure. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I just I haven't seen it. I haven't seen them yet. So well, there's a great um, message from you know, your mom too for that um, about eating yeah, chocolate chip cookies you know, on the porch, and it's so sweet, uh, uh, so sweet. Yeah, I, I know my mom. My mom is so, um, you know, she was so nervous. I'm like, mom, you know, it, it doesn't happen happen tonight. You know, it doesn't <laughs> have to happen tonight. It can it can happen, you know, later this year or whatever. But you know, with with COVID, you just don't even know if you're going to play. So we were really right. thankful to get a game. We were Absolutely. thankful to get a game with um, UOP and, and 
you know, they have an excellent team, and that was their first game because of uh, the po- wow. testing positive. Yeah, big one for them, big one in the moment. Hey, before we let you go, I would be remiss if I didn't ask the winningest coach of all time for the number one thing that you tell anybody that you want to lead into greatness. I think that whatever you do, do it with passion. And if you want to come back to Cheney, she's so passionate about whatever she does. Um, but, you know, it's just do whatever you want to do, do it with passion. And I think be authentic, you know, be yourself, do it your way. And your, your way might not be someone else's way. But, um, you know, if you really love what you do and you believe in what you do, you work really hard at it, uh, I think good things will happen. Well, it certainly worked out for you doing it your way. Thanks so much for the time and congratulations, Coach. Thanks, Coach. Thank you so much. Thank you, ESPN. Um, I'm really, uh, really appreciative for your great coverage of women's basketball. Absolutely. Uh, and well-deserved coverage. Stanford women's coach Tara Vanderveer, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, with us here on Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive's Home Insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Coming up, a stunning admission from a well-known broadcaster. We're going to play you the shocking comments that he made today on Spain and Fitz. Coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's a Levitard show today, as always. Levitard show with Stu Gatz. And they had Ian Eagle on, and it was a good follow-up to a conversation they had a couple days ago about Ian Eagle being a great name, and would it be weird if his name was Ian Eagle, and that also Ian Eagle's dad's name was Jack Eagle, which is a tough name to beat in literally any context. Like, Jack Eagle is a fighter pilot. Jack Eagle is a great president. Jack Eagle is uh, just a hot guy that you want to date uh, and take to the prom, right? Jack Eagle is just a great name. Jack and, Eagle uh, is definitely right? the, the main character in some sort of an action movie series. 100%. Like that one movie, like a whole series. The, a whole series. You know, Jack it's Eagle. The next, it's the next Jason Bourne. Jack Eagle. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, by the way. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Neither of our names is nearly as cool as Jack Eagle. Uh, on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. change now. <laughs> Sirius XM Channel 80, Jack Fitz. Uh, no, Jack Spain. No, no, I'm no. going to stick with Jack Eagle. I'll just make Jack, my you just st- take the whole like, name. Can I have a stage name at this point? <laughs> Jack Eagle. Yeah, you should at this point because there's too many Fitzsimmons and Fitzes and Fitzgeralds. And honestly, everyone thinks that your name is short for something, which is kind of a bummer <laughs> for you. You never just get to have your full name accepted and acknowledged. Uh, anyway, Ian Eagle came on and it was a, it was a rollicking and joyful and delightful interview. In, in all in all aspects. The entire time was great. But then they started talking about condiments, and my mind was blown by Ian Eagle telling the Levitard show that he's never eaten them. That you've never right. had That's a true. Sal- That's true. Not, that? not that I don't like them. Right. I've never ingested them. It, it, there's a distinction between the two. So, like, you've never had a salad. You've never had a, no. a burger with ketchup on it. No. What do what you do eat? You dip your French fries in. I did salt. I, <laughs> you put salt in. If you feel like you need the the whole motion of dipping, you you do that. I don't. I don't feel the need to dip. How do you eat barbecue? You eat it with like a dry rub or something. That's a great question. I do. I do have barbecue <laughs> sauce. I don't consider that a condiment. Although I know deep in my heart, it's a mixture of a lot of crap. But I think I I try to just pretend that it's not. Okay. So first of all, we're going to get to the never eaten a condiment, which apparently includes sauces because dressings because he said he had a salad and, and he just eats dry fries or more salt. But first, 
The last bit about the barbecue sauce. Fitz, I was perfectly ready to call him a fraud, and he is a little bit of a fraud and even admits it himself at the end there when he says, I just kind of pretend it's not. But I'm starting to think he's thinking of barbecue sauce more as a marinade, which would be different than a condiment. Right? He's eaten something that was cooked in barbecue sauce. He doesn't dip it into. And that's the difference between something used as a marinade or a condiment, and it might not actually blow up his theory that he's... But I don't understand how you can make it a lifetime. Like, at no point in childhood did someone just, while you were at a kid's birthday party or a bowling alley or a movie theater, that no one gave you a condiment with your food and you didn't just try it. I mean, that that's the, the real principle here. Like, as the kid that tried everything i can't imagine like as the person that eats everything i can't imagine at some point it's almost like you're just trolling the world you are intentionally right. at this point You've just trying to irritate people by never yeah. trying these things like how, how it's fine i actually prefer my ketchup or my french fries without ketchup like i don't need a dipping anything for my fries but i know what ketchup tastes like i mean i, <laughs> I still eat ketchup on things like that seems weird to me yeah, I, I'm a barbecue sauce person. I prefer barbecue oh, yeah. sauce oh, with God, a yes. lot of things where people would put ketchup instead. But I do That's like ketchup on my hot dogs, which a lot of people in Chicago say you can't have. I don't eat hot dogs anymore, but when I did, I would use ketchup and mustard and, and relish and all the other stuff. Banana peppers, that's the key. But I just, I think it is one of those things where at some point as a child, either he was creeped out by them or grossed out or had a really plain palate. And then by the time he got old enough, he kind of just stuck with it. Sort of like I have never eaten a Hostess product. I've never had a oh. Twinkie. I've never had a, oh, I don't know, what cool. else are there? Do, doodads? What, what else is a Hostess product? Like, I mean, first of all, I think the entire Golic family at this point is just uh, rolling over at this point. Like Mike doesn't know why there's something happening in his brain, but he's he's having like a little. Yeah, that's how like, he feels whenever I tell him I don't like donuts. Um, uh, I mean, oh, I mean, but so yeah. you never had like ding dongs. That's uh, what I was the, thinking of. I've never had a the, ding dong, or like the little cupcake thingies with the swirlies on the top. You've no, never had those? No, I've oh, never had a cupcake so or a Twinkie or a ding dong or a a donut or a fruit pie or a, oh donuts think, are a delight. I think like as a young kid, my parents, my my mom didn't like. I don't want to say crap. Uh, my apologies to the hostess people, but, you know, food that was made out of uh, things that aren't real food. <laughs> um, and so I didn't often have it. I wasn't restricted from, like, delicious cakes and things. Just, my mom would usually make them herself instead of getting packaged ones like that. And once I got to a certain age and hadn't had them, I was like, ew, right? So I've just never tried them. So we're curious. And you can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. In honor of Ian Eagle saying that he's never had a condiment, what's the most shocking food or drink you've never tried? We tried to ask Nick Friedel this, and as he pointed out, the answers are endless. Like, I, I go, I remember going to a tapas restaurant, not topless, tapas restaurant with uh, Friedel early in our friendship, and he didn't know what anything was. He's like, SS, what's patatas bravas? SS, what's a bacon wrap date? It was like only, only cheeseburgers. Uh, do you have one? Because it seems like you've eaten everything. No, see, the the thing of it is, like, now I've gone down the rabbit hole. I'm looking at Hostess's website. I'm going to start ordering merch. That's how much I like this stuff. <laughs> the funny thing is, so many things about us are very similar. I, too, by the way, uh, always upgrade to barbecue sauce. Like, anything yes. ketchup can do, barbecue sauce can do better. Uh, like, I, so that's a standard for me. And I, too, grew up without any of my, – my brother was allergic to artificial coloring. So we never had any, of like, strain – any prepackaged food really was never in the house. 
However, what happened for me is like then I hit my 20s and I was like, wait, I'm going to try all of this and it's delightful. So I went down <laughs> that, that rabbit hole later in life. For me, though, my mom's biggest rule growing up, she used to say it with a flowery F word in the middle, but she used to always remind us as kids that she, she wasn't running a restaurant. So what she was making for dinner was what she wanted for dinner. We were going to eat it or we weren't going to eat. So <laughs> like the option of being a selective eater was just never really there for me. Like if you right. didn't like... You know, broccoli, well, that's a, it doesn't matter. That's what's on the plate. So I grew up eating everything. Like, uh, you know, I, when I was on tour, I was in Japan. They're like, yeah, the delicacy for this place is raw horse. So I ate raw horse. Like, I've eaten reindeer. Whoa. I've eaten, like, We've anything that people throw in front of me. Yeah, yeah I mean, you've eaten if you a lot throw it in front of me, that- I eat it. That's, that's unfortunate. Okay, that's a, that's, we're going to clip that off, and it's going to come <laughs> at a bad time when you're going to try to get out of, weasel your way out of something that we're going to plate up for you, and you're going to have to eat it because you just said that. Uh, hit they us have up, masks let us know. that say, this is where I keep my Twinkies. How do, we not, how do I not buy this stuff now? <laughs> uh, we want to hear from you guys. Let us know the thing that everyone is shocked to learn you've never had or uh, or, or I'd say food or beverage works. We'll keep it to that. Don't don't tell us what movies you've never seen, but uh, what you know, food or beverage that people are shocked to learn you've never tried. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. And coming up, we're going to visit with a head coach hoping to win big in her new job and also inspire. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, CSPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, and we got to get rid of that music because we need something different for this guest. That's right. The GOAT is coming on. Massive win last night for Stanford women's basketball, putting coach Tara Vanderveer on top, Tara on top, the winningest women's basketball coach in college basketball history. And she joins us now on the Shell Penzo performance line. Tara, thanks for the time, but a whirlwind day, I'm sure. And I want to know what it felt like last night, because it's not a surprise of a championship where you don't know going in. It's not an 80-point game that you didn't know you had in you. It's a it's a gradual step by step journey to get to there. So you knew it was coming. What did it feel like in the actual moment when the when the buzzer sounded? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's an absolute pleasure. It was great that the game was on ESPN, and we had Beth Mullins and Debbie Antonelli making the call from unfortunately an empty gym. But it was uh, <laughs> you know it was a really really exciting for our team. We had um, I, I thought we played well you know uh, most of the game and. Um, once, once we won, it was, uh, I'm going to tell you, it was a little bit of a relief just because there's been a lot of attention about it. But um, all in all, it was a really happy and fun night. Coach, when the dust settles and, you know, you get through the moment, I know coaches rarely take time to look back. Was there something in your career last night after everything was done that was really in your head as sort of a strong memory? Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of, you know, just – I can't tell you that there was anything that I really thought about except for I, I really thought about my very kind of my first game coaching and how I got into coaching. I got in because my dad told me I was going to go down and coach my sister's team. You know, it was just the beginning of Title IX, and I was, um, you know, I, I was I just graduated from college, and I had no idea that coaching was going to be something I went into. I planned to go to law school, but I was just thinking about how coaching my sister and how much fun I had and. And that's when I decided that, that that's what I wanted to do. Tara, it's interesting for those of you that started out super young, like you just pointed out, we all know Pat Summit was, you know, washing uniforms while 
coaching uh, and those early days of the growth of women's basketball, it's wonderful and, and fantastic that the game has grown as much as it has, but it's also resulted in a lot fewer female coaches in women's college basketball than there used to be. What's your reaction to how the, the salaries have gone up, the attention has gone up, and so have the number of men uh, being given jobs? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. One of the things that I do is uh, through the Women's Sports Foundation, uh, they have started a fund, and it's the Tara Vanderbilt Legacy Fund, to help kind of fill the pipeline uh, for young women coaches. Um, and both men and women support this, uh, you know, by giving money to the Women's Sports Foundation. Uh, we're trying to do internships for not just basketball but other sports too. Um, we, you know, we need young women to uh, develop as coaches and get the opportunities in coaching. And that has been, you know, as you have noted, that has been – a downside in that women have, um, you know, lost jobs or not been rehired. And it's very challenging for women if they, you know, lose a job to get a job uh, again. And I think we need to, that's one thing I kind of have referred to Stanford as the recycling bin. Uh, You know, I've hired women that have lost their job and then they've gotten back in it and they've done exceptionally well. We're talking to Stanford women's head uh, basketball coach Tara Vanderveer. So uh, the other thing that we talk a lot on this show about is the WNBA. We love it on this show. And obviously the growth of the league has resulted in the growth of, it seems, perspective around women's basketball in general. How has that affected sort of recruiting? When you look at the recruits today versus the recruits years ago, uh, how is it different? You know, I think that the WNBA gives a great opportunity for women, but the money is not what the NBA is at all. And I, I think that women sh- still, um, I, I just think they really uh, have to focus on academics and, you know, make sure that they get a great education um, because basketball is fun, but it is going to be over for everybody shortly. You know, it's not going to last really long. Um, and, that, you know, that academics are really, really important. So uh, I don't know that it's changed for women, or we don't have one and done, um, and you know, I think for the most part, women have have really, um, you know, focused on academics and want to do, you know, their academics so that they'll have a career beyond basketball. Yeah, it's super important. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Stanford women's coach Tara Vanderveer, winner of two national championships at Stanford, forty-two years in her coaching career, national coach of the year four times, and now. 1099, 1,099 wins to pass Pat Summit. That's a huge number. And the person that you pass is such a huge figure in women's sports, not mm-hmm. just in basketball. Is there somewhat of a bittersweet nature to this because of the way that Pat's career and life ended? I would have loved to have seen her out there going game for game with you still. I would too. Um, it is really sad, you know, and that, you know, you asked me what I thought about it. I thought about that too. And that, you know, the great, not just great rivalry, but great friendship uh, we had, you know, as, um, you know, kind of basketball um, contemporaries, um, people that, you know, we, we really, uh, I, I mean, I just think we, we did go, we did go at it. And, I mean, you knew if you beat Tennessee that you had a, a good team that year. And, you know, there were years that um, it, we just, we went into double overtime or we just had battles and, you know, obviously she's a great coach and a great mentor and a great person. Um, so last night really uh, did remind me so much of how much I miss her. 
Coach, uh, obviously you had the opportunity to coach one of our friends, Chanae Ogum, okay? And uh, I got to get some dirt. Like, there's got to be something. Chanae's great at everything. Can you give me anything uh, that Chanae's not good at so that well, we can do? We like to have a little... covered that on this show, though. She's a terrible singer. She needs to stop singing. Uh, we all need to know our gifts and our strengths. Other than that, though. Other than the singing. <laughs> um, you know, she. I mean, she. Chanae is incredibly talented. Um, the one thing I will say... You know, I, I, I kind of underestimated Chanae. I'll be honest with you. You know, I thought as coming in as a freshman, I thought, well, Chanae, well, I'll bring her along slowly. You know, well, I'll bring her off the bench. And, you know, and in the first game, she had uh, like 20 rebounds. The second game, and these are <laughs> exhibition games, 25 rebounds. I'm like, scrap that plan. I, I would just say with Chanae, give her the ball. You know, the girl delivers in every single thing she does. Uh, she's just awesome. And, one of the things that she really brought to Stanford, along with her sister, uh, Neka Ogumke, was uh, just a, a, a sisterhood. You know, just a, uh, she just really is, uh, the, the sisterhood is so great and so strong. You know, yeah. and that, uh, when you have that on a team, you really have a great chance of winning. Stanford coach Tara Vanderveer, the winningest coach in women's college basketball with us. I have two quick ones for you before we let you go, coach. First of all, I saw this great video. It had all sorts of folks. There's a couple different videos floating around of people, including former players and other coaches and staff members, uh, wishing you well on this accomplishment. But one thing I noticed is a couple notable uh, opposing coaches who seem to say congratulations, but also remember all the times we beat you and we're going to go out and get another title. Uh I like that. I like that. Have you felt like there's a little bit of pulling teeth from the people that you oppose in them saying, like, we're definitely happy for you, but also now we're done celebrating and let's get back to beating each other? <laughs> well, you know, um, we have been, like, I've been so busy, I've not seen a single one of the videos yet. Oh. And so, so I'm, you know, I'm excited to see them, and I'll look out for that for sure. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I just I haven't seen it. I haven't seen them yet. So well, there's a great um, message from you your know, mom too for that um, about eating yeah, chocolate chip cookies you know, on the porch, and it's so sweet, uh, uh, so sweet. Yeah, I, I know my mom. My mom is so, um, you know, she was so nervous. I'm like, mom, you know, it, it doesn't happen happen tonight. You know, it doesn't <laughs> have to happen tonight. It can it can happen, you know, later this year or whatever. But you know, with with COVID, you just don't even know if you're going to play. So we were really right. thankful to get a game. We were Absolutely. thankful to get a game with um, UOP, and, and, you know, they have an excellent team, and that was their first game because of uh, the po- wow. testing positive. Yeah, big one for them, big one in the moment. Hey, before we let you go, I would be remiss if I didn't ask the winningest coach of all time for the number one thing that you tell anybody that you want to lead into greatness. I think that whatever you do, do it with passion. And if you want to come back to Chanae, she's so passionate about whatever she does. Um, but – you know, it's just do whatever you want to do. Do it with passion. And I think be authentic. You know, be yourself. Do it your way. And your way, your way might not be someone else's way. But, um, you know, if you really love what you do and you believe in what you do, you work really hard at it, uh, I think good things will happen. Well, it certainly worked out for you doing it your way. Thanks so much for the time, and congratulations, Coach. Thanks, Coach. Thank you so much. Thank you, ESPN. Um, I'm really, uh, really appreciative for your great coverage of women's basketball. Absolutely, uh, and well-deserved coverage. Stanford women's coach Tara Vanderveer, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, with us here on Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive's Home Insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Coming up, a stunning admission 
from a well-known broadcaster. We're going to play you the shocking comments that he made today on Spain and Fitz coming up next. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. I thought it was a simply fine question, an easy question, a question that might come up with some interesting, compelling answers. But instead, you guys are breaking my heart, especially you, sir, with the cheese. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. (laughs) Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Yesterday we had a fun pre-party talking about uh, Nickelodeon football games and a possible uh, intervention needed for Fitz's wife's advent calendar obsession, which involves many bottles of booze uh, and wine. Uh, So make sure you subscribe. You can listen to it on the ESPN app, Apple, iTunes, all that good stuff. We sometimes do digital-only segments. You can only get there. Uh, but we asked you earlier in the show, because Ian Eagle was on the Levitard show today and revealed, allegedly, that he's never eaten a condiment. Uh, that apparently involves dressing and sauces, because he, you know, he said he didn't eat a salad, he didn't eat you know, anything with his french fries, maybe dip them in salt. Uh, he did admit to eating barbecue, but he claimed that that was not a condiment. I don't know how he's making these rules, but even a tiny error there, like even if for the majority of it he's being correct when he says he's never had a condiment, that's wild. And it had Fitz and I wondering, is this a decision that you make at some point in life and then stick to for some reason? Like, I've made it this far, I'm just going to keep up? Or is there a fear of condiments? Remember that story early, uh, was it last year, where the girl had never eaten sauces, but not just eaten them, her parents had protected her from sauces, and when she got to college, she needed to go home and drop out because of the sauces that were near her? I, this is news to me. Sauces. You did not hear this story. This no, story went not. viral. This girl literally claimed she could not stay in college because her parents had protected her from sauces for her whole life. Wow. That is, uh, that is a saucy take. See what I did there? <laughs> it is a lunacy. Absolute lunacy. <laughs> um, unless there was some sort of weird PTSD or some sort of issue involving sauces which seems like a real reach i'm just trying not to i don't be know i toured with a lot of guys that got too saucy i that's uh, the closest okay. I well got. we, we okay. know you've hit the sauce many times including uh, thank you but thank you. uh i mean this is just wild yeah she was unable to cope with the experience of college because her parents had protected her from sauces anyway the point is we're all confused about how i and eagle got here but we asked you all uh to share something surprising if someone were to hear that you had never tried this food or drink and you guys hit us up on the Spain and Fitz Nation at Nutty Bananas. Uh, hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed and said, Coffee. Never had a sip, and that includes four years at sea in the Navy, 46 years and counting. And he was not alone. Several people said coffee. And my husband would have been in that boat, except for he works with a Syrian refugee family that uh, is still working on their English. And he said repeatedly no. And then when they gave him the coffee, he felt bad. So he just had like half a cup of it. And that was at like 43. So he almost I mean, made it. I, there are, I think, I, I've actually met several people in my life that have never had coffee, uh, never had caffeine, things like that. Like, I, I, I don't necessarily understand it as somebody that drinks a lot of it. But, uh, you know, that that one doesn't seem as shocking to me as some of the others. You know, like, what I, about I can see all-nighters? Coffee. What about well, uh, falling asleep at your desk? Like, I, I never drank coffee until in recent years because I gave up soda altogether and I needed caffeine. Um, but, how, like, what do you – you just – fall asleep when you're tired you just never there's no mountain of, there's, uh, just a mountain of drugs just a mountain okay, of drugs okay i got it they- I'm, i skipped the drugs <laughs> and i went to coffee um 
Speaking of uh, somebody else, uh, somebody else said soda, had never had a soda in their life, which is surprising. 48 years old at Lee underscore W18. So I guess throw that in the mix. Uh, but another surprising one at Tony underscore Cleland uh, with some news from Spain and Nation hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed with jelly or jam. One of two people who said this, and I followed up to ask why. She said as a child, they seemed really messy. And that at a certain point, it was like, if I don't know what it is about and I don't like it, then I don't want to add it. If it's just sugary and not all that healthy. So there's no reason to try it now. I never thought of that. Like, do you wake up one day and you're like, hey, I never like I hadn't had uh, Kool-Aid. Uh, never, I never had Kool-Aid growing up. First time I ever had it, it was mixed with a substantial amount of vodka. Uh, <laughs> afterwards, I realized that Kool-Aid tastes much different. So like my childhood was was weird. Like I never had sugary cereals. And then Sunny eats that stuff all the time. Yeah. And so when we met and she's like, oh, Fruit Loops. I'm like, I've never had that. And I had it once. And I'm like, eh. Well, that's kind of I mean, how I, I feel about it. donuts. Like whenever anyone says, well, if maybe you should try like a really good one, like go to Krispy Kreme. And I'm like, if I don't want that right now, then there's no reason to have it. And then be like, you guys were right. Donuts are amazing. I'm going to eat them all the time now. And you're going to be able to tell that I'm eating them all the time. If I had had your willpower with that one, boy, the last 20 years. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, there's some people going the opposite direction. At Buff Daddy 74 says he's never eaten a salad. Which means, even if you're someone who just believes that they don't like vegetables or something, that means you've gone to a wedding or a plated dinner or a charity event where they've given you a salad. And every time you've just looked at it and been like, no. <laughs> what? What if it had delicious things on it? It, it, it? Just a salad just means usually that I'm guessing he means like a salad that has a base of lettuce, not like a potato salad or a corn salad or a pasta salad. Just a lettuce base with any number of delicious things on top. How is that possible? I just feel like that at that point you're just you're just being stubborn to be stubborn. Right. Like, he probably wore shorts around too. I mean, like throw some throw just a, a an entire moat of dressing on it and you're fine. <laughs> Um, at Jimmy Connolly is one of the two that really broke my heart. Um, mac and cheese. Like you've I mean, never known true joy or love for that matter. If you've never had mac and cheese, if no one in your life has ever sat you down and said, listen, unless you're lactose intolerant, in which case you could still have some sort of non-dairy mac and cheese, but no one has sat you down and given you mac and cheese. I got to be honest. I had a whole family sized box the other night by myself, so like I can't, I can't relate to this. Like, I mean, but why? I, that makes me sad. And the other one is the guy who said he's never had cheese. He's had it on things like a pizza, but never a piece of string cheese or a slice of cheese on a hamburger. Like, first of all, we've gone over this many times on this show. Cheese is my favorite food. Which is weird because Asian is my favorite kind of food and Asian food doesn't have cheese in it. But that's a conversation for another time. Cheese is the last thing I would give up of all foods and drinks that have ever been invented. And this guy is just going without? I, I, I want to pick him up and, and give him a hug and, and welcome him into a world full of cheese strings. There, there is so much. The thing about cheese, and I'm with you, like it's one of my favorite things to just eat, is that there's so much variety with it. Like one day, maybe you want like an extra sharp that's really going to be like a yeah. cheese. A and then brie? the next day, maybe you want some sort of like, yeah, brie. Like you take some brie, you wrap it in a croissant, you, uh, oh, in a crescent yeah, roll, and you bake jam. it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, yeah. This is, this is like. San Andre with some fig spread and a crustini. Oh. Mm, it's just I mean, magical. Is, I'm sad for these people. And, and and if you already like pizza, like, because he said he'd had pizza, right. like, at some point, don't you think, like, I'm going to deconstruct this. I like all of the things that are in it. I'm going to try them on other things. Like, that, that just seems natural to me. 
It really does. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking about the weird things that you guys have somehow managed to go your entire lives without trying in food and drink uh, because Ian Eagle says he's never had a condiment, which eh, still trying to figure that out. Kind of like the guy who said he's never had a glass of water. First of all, I don't believe you. I think you're trying to get the shock effect. And second of all, if that's true, like, go drink some water. Like, that's deeply unhealthy. Like, what are you living on, Mountain Dew? This can't be good. Yeah, well, I you know, I I have obviously had water and I've changed my diet substantially, but there was a spot in my life where, you know, when when Sonny was like, When's the last time you had a bottle of water? And I was like, I I, I don't know. What? Years, like years? What? Easily. Yeah, I, I drank no water for years of my life. Well, I remember all- when we first met, when we started our radio relationship back when you were still faithful to me, you would show up and have like eight energy drinks during the day or like five venti coffees. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, at one point in my life, I was drinking two hundred ounces of diet soda plus oh three God. or four pots of coffee a day, and like, and no water, none, none. And uh, and so then I went to a trainer, uh, like when I was out on the road. The trainer at one point was like, "Okay, we're just going to get rid of everything cold turkey. Go all water. You just need to drink a gallon of water a day." <laughs> so I did that for months. I drank a gallon of water a day, and everybody was like, "Don't you feel better?" And I'm like. No, not at all. So then I brought soda back into my life. Diet soda, you know, it's it's sugar-free. No, no diet soda is the same as basically chemicals that you use to strip rust off a car. You can use Coke to do that. You know what? I don't think those chemicals taste as delightful. I I haven't had a diet soda at this point in two years. I haven't had a diet soda in two years. Okay, I'm proud of you, bud. So, yeah, Uh, I've done it. At Sunday underscore money 11 said, Miracle Whip spam. I'm fine with either of those. Not the end of the world. But then sushi and sweet potatoes. Sushi's delicious. I get some people are weirded out by it, but you can get a roll that's just vegetables. You don't have to get one with raw fish. But sweet potatoes, sweet potatoes are magical. Yeah, I, I think a sweet potato part of that is a little weird to me. Sushi, everybody has a process with, right? Like, right. you've got to have a friend that way. takes you to a place that gets a California roll where nothing's raw and you eat it. And then you're like, oh, I kind of like that. And then, you know, it, it's like it's a gateway drug at that point. Then it gets you to the harder stuff. And before you know it, you're you're taking sashimi raw and like everything's yeah, great. Absolutely. Th- there's a process. But sweet potato, there is no process. Like, just, you should just, just sweet like potato it immediately. Yeah, yeah, 100%. At Steve Bishop, uh, I've never had any tea sweetened, iced. Hot, none of it. Also weird. Somebody said seafood. Somebody said Taco Bell. I want to show up at all your houses and I want to help you, especially the guy who's never had a tomato. Come on, people. (laughs) But we're starting with the cheese person. I'm finding out where you live and I'm coming to your house and I'm stuffing a cheese string directly into your gullet. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Spade and Fitz. Sorry things got so weird. Freddie and Fitzsimmons are coming up next. I'm going to go eat some cheese. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.